Good morning, everyone. Again, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you guys would go down to verse 36, and we will be going to the end of the chapter. What we've seen so far in this chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing uh, many questions around marriage. And so he's addressed marriage and singleness. He's uh, talked about how neither of these is more holy than the other, that if you are married, it is good. If you are single, it is good. He talks about the uh, gift of singleness and how you are able to serve the Lord more fully, that you don't uh, bring on the concerns of marriage. Um, and so this whole chapter has been advice about marriage. And today's specific advice is going to now look at uh, fathers uh, towards their daughters. Uh, when a father marries off his daughter, or does he keep her at home as a virgin? What is this father going to do with his daughter? Um, and so one thing we have to understand as we look at this passage is that uh, many times in Scripture, there is a context to the words being spoken or the context to the words being written that in modern times we cannot understand. And so what we have to do is we have to understand the context of the passage to be able to read it correctly. And I bring that up because, again, this is looking at a father's authority over his daughter in order to keep her in his house as a virgin so that way she may serve the Lord. And in, to the modern ear, that sounds off. To the modern ear, in our society, a father keeping his daughter at home is not something that we're used to. And so many people will read a passage like this, and they'll accuse the Bible of being patriarchal. They'll accuse it of being something negative because they see a father's authority over his daughter, and they don't agree with that. And so we as Christians, if we're reading the scriptures and we come across a passage like this and we disagree with it, we need to recognize that there's something wrong about our context, not something wrong about the words that we're reading in the scriptures. Because God has given us great sound advice for how to raise our children, how to give them off in marriage, and so we should be adopting what scripture says about this topic, not conforming to what the world says about this topic. And so when we read Paul's advice here for fathers and their daughters in marriage, we need to have this background. We need to understand what scripture says about parenting, we need to understand what scripture says about the headship of a father, and we need to apply that to our understanding of this passage. So let's go ahead and read this passage real quick so we can see what we're talking about here. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting at verse 36. This is, but if any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly towards his virgin daughter, if she is past her youth, and if it must be so, let them do as he wishes. He does not sin, let her marry. But if he stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will, and has decided this in his own heart, to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married, to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think I also have the Spirit of God. So again, what we have here is advice from Paul to fathers. Your daughter wants to get married, and you have her as a single virgin. What are you to do? And again, Paul's given this advice about uh, remaining single, that it is good to remain single if you can, because you are able to serve the Lord more fully. And so a father might wonder, well, if I can keep my daughter single, shouldn't I do that? Should I not make a vow for her to remain single? That way she can serve the Lord. But then what if you make that vow, and the daughter then comes to you and says, no, I don't want to do this. I want to marry. And so this conundrum comes where a father does not want to act unwise with his daughter. He does not want to break a vow he made before God. And so what is he to do in this situation? But again, this brings up an elephant in the room. In our modern context, we do not see fathers as having this type of authority. 
In our modern context, uh, most people would say that if this daughter came to them for advice, they would say, forget your father, go do what you want. Forget what he says. He has no control over you. You're an adult. It's your life. Cast him aside and do what you please. But that's not the advice Paul gives here. Paul doesn't reprimand him for this vow he makes. Paul doesn't tell him he's wrong to do this. Paul doesn't question the father's authority over his daughter, but rather he gives him sound advice how to deal with his daughter in this vow. And he does tell her that she he is able to give her in marriage. So we need to understand this again, that the modern view of children and the modern view of parenting is very different from what the Bible prescribes. The modern view of children is, again, that they are their own, that they can do as they wish. They don't have to answer to their parents. And really, we, we receive this in so many different ways that m- many Christians have adopted this thinking. If you look at any Disney princess movie, this is the concept of it. The father has an idea for what their daughter needs to do. The daughter says, no, I need to do otherwise. She rebels against her father, goes and does what she pleases, and at the end, the father conforms to what the daughter wanted all along. This is the opposite of Scripture. This is the opposite of what we have been told on how to raise our children. So again, we're going to look at Paul's advice for fathers and their daughters, but to understand this better, we need to dig even deeper than that. We need to look at what authority do parents have over their children and what authority do fathers have over their daughters. And so again, reading verse 36 for some context, we're going to look at fathers' authority over their children. Verse 36 says, But if any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, if she is past her youth, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let her marry. So this father has made this vow, his daughter's to remain single, she's going to remain in his home, and he has done this so that way she may serve the Lord. But now his daughter comes and says, wait, I want to marry. I have a desire to marry. I don't have the gift of singleness. I want to go do this. And the father's now concerned. I can break my vow before God, but isn't that sin? What do I do here? Do I allow my daughter to go off? And again, the modern ear hears that the father, and they would say the father doesn't have that authority. But the scripture does give this authority over children. Fathers have this authority and parents have this authority over their children because they are given to them by God. Ephesians chapter 6 Starting at verse 1 says this about a parent's authority over their children. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. What's amazing about this commandment is that it is that first commandment with a promise. It's not just honor your father and mother, but there's something that results from this that is actually better for the child when they do honor their father and mother, when they are obedient to their parents. And so a parent is to raise their child up in this way. A parent is to raise their child to be obedient to them. And it's not for the sake of them simply being obedient to them, but they're raising them so that way they will eventually be obedient to Christ as well. What's being exhibited here is headship. You have an authority over you, and you're to be obedient to that authority. And the home is a little microcosm of this. The parent of the child is obedient to their parent. They learn obedience. They practice obedience. And the child is to train them up and, or the parent is to train the child up in the way that they should go. So when they are old, they will not depart from it. When they are old, they will be honoring to God just as they were honoring to their parents. You're training your children how to be obedient to the authority, which is you, so that when they are old, they will be, remain to be obedient to the authority, which is God. You're training them up in this righteousness. So parents should be training their children in the way they should go, and this involves all of their lives. You're training them in how to live life, what lifestyle they should have, 
which includes all their behaviors, their dress, their attitude, everything that goes on in that, but you're also teaching them how to obey God, how to pray, how to read God's word, how to work in service towards Christ. And all of these things you're continually doing, practicing obedience, practicing obedience, practicing obedience. So that way when they get old, they continue in that obedience. And so this is something that every parent must do. Every parent is to discipline their children. And again, this is something that the modern ear doesn't like. They hear discipline and they don't like it. Why? Because they they say that Christians, they're um, brainwashing their children. Why are you telling them that they must think this way, not another way? Well, one, you're doing the same thing just towards a different ideology. And two, because the Bible says so. The Bible tells me to train them up in this way. And so I'm going to train them up in this way. I'm going to discipline them because the Bible tells me it is good. And the Bible is God's word. And so I'm going to listen to God rather than men and train my children and discipline them in the way that they should go. Proverbs 13:24 says, He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. We have to discipline our children. This is part of them growing up to obey. This is part of them growing up to honor God. If you do not discipline your child, they will not obey. And if they aren't going to obey you, what makes you think they're going to obey any other authority? They are placed under you as you, with you as their authority. So discipline them well so that way they do well. And this discipline is not just punishment. Discipline is punishment and teaching and correction. Not every situation calls for a punishment, but every situation calls for discipline. So whether that's teaching, correction, or punishment, you must teach your children to obey. Proverbs 22.15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will move it far from him. Our society has become so backwards that they think that children know better than their parents. And we've seen this mainly in, in um, um, with children being transgender. A three-year-old will go to their parent and say, I'm a boy, but I think I'm a girl. And our society says, well, just accept that. Why? Because the child knows better than you. This is not the case. The parent knows better than the child. The parent is to direct the child. But the world calls this foolishness. The world calls a parent directing their child as foolishness because you're not allowing the child to be who they are. And so what you get when even Christians adopt this, they might not go into transgenderism, but many parents raise their children saying that their parent is their own, or the child is their own, and they can do as they wish. So they'll have some rules of some guidance, but ultimately there's no real direction for the child. And the child grows old and they move away from the faith and they go off and to do things that you don't expect them to do. And you're sitting there thinking, why are they doing all these things? It's because you did not train them in obedience. You trained them to go off on their own and do as they wished. And so you need to bring the rod of discipline because foolishness is in the heart of the child. Do not expect your children to grow up on their own and mature on their own. You are the one who matures your child. You are the one who disciplines your child and brings them into proper obedience. And it has to start from a young age. Because if you don't start from a young age, if you start when they're older, they're not going to be used to it, and they're not going to know how to respond to it. They're going to already be trained up in thinking like the world, and then you're going to switch over to correct discipline, and they're going to rebel even more from it because they're not used to it. But when you start from a young age, it goes well. Train your child up in the way that they should go from a child, a small baby, disciplining them over the years. And that discipline's going to change. It's going to evolve as they get older. But the point of this is to make sure that they mature in Christ. And so this control is not simply for you to have control. This control is for the glory of God. Children are given to you as a gift 
for God. And we can think of the parable of the talents. The master gives the talents to his servants, and what they're supposed to do is have an increase in it. And that last servant takes the one talent, he buries it, and he doesn't do anything with it. And so when the master comes back, he says, well, I knew you to be a harsh master, and I was afraid, and so I hid it. And so the master says, you know I reap where I do not sow, yet you did not increase. And so he gets punished for it. And so the same is true with our children. God has given to you a gift of children, so that way you would grow and God would receive the increase of that. You're raising children who have been given to you as a gift, but one day you will give them back to God. You're not raising them to be forever yours. You're raising them because they're going to serve the Lord. They're going to mature, they're going to become adults, and then you're sending them out to be good Christians. Psalm 127, verse 3 through 5 says this, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. This is a gift from God that we should not use unwisely. Like every gift we receive from the Lord, we take wisdom in using it. Whether it be spiritual gifts, um, our resources that we have, and our children, all of them are used for the glory of God. And so raise your children well. We have to have an understand, a correct understanding of what our children are to us in order to raise them well. And so many parents nowadays want to think of their children as their best friends. Some of them are more harsh and think of them as their little servants. Um, many of them will try to live vicariously through their children. I didn't get to do all these things when I was a kid, so I'm going to make sure that they have the best of everything. And that's their purpose of children. It's trying to make up for something. It's trying to make them the child something that they're not. But what children are, they are human beings created in the image of God. They're granted to us to raise in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And they are a gift that at the right time we will give back to God. And so through this, raising them up, you're going to have moments, you're going to have joy and love and happiness in that family. It's not a cold relationship, but the purpose of the relationship as it gives you all those benefits is to raise them in the right way. You have a job to do, so get it done. So you have to train your children in obedience. Now this can go too far in one of two ways. You can have not enough training and you can have too much um, authority or, or a kind of repressive authority over your children, and we don't want to go either way. I think in our modern society, the, the likeliness is that most parents are not going to be strict enough with their kids. They're not going to discipline them enough, and so their children are going to be wild and out of control, and they're not going to be following Christ when they are older. Many people today think of discipline, and they think of it as an oppressive thing. They think, well, that's not kind to your child to discipline them. Let them be who they want to be. But really, again, when we read the scriptures, we see the context of parenting in the scriptures. This is not all the case. And in fact, there's even parallels between God's discipline of us that, that the writer of Hebrews talks about. And so he wants us to think of a parent's discipline and equate that to what the Father does, or God the Father does with us. And so we can see that in Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 7. Look at the cultural assumptions in this passage. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share in his holiness." So what the writer of Hebrews here is assuming is that you were all disciplined by your fathers. 
and you respected them for it. And so how is it that our society today can look at discipline and think of it to be a disrespectful thing when Scripture wants us to think of God as our disciplinary father? That would make God an oppressor of us. This is not the case. Discipline is good. You are illegitimate children if you are not disciplined. If you have not disciplined your children, you are treating them as illegitimate children. So they require discipline. We cannot be too loose with our children. But again, it can go to the other extent. And well-meaning parents can be way too strict with their children to the point where their children aren't actually maturing. And we don't want to go to this route either. Because the point of maturing our children is that they would be able to go on their own and perform without us always micromanaging them. And so one question you can ask yourself, am I disciplining my child the same way today as I did when they were younger? And if that's the case, you're probably doing something wrong. Because as you discipline them, as they get older, as they're trained up, as they're obedient, what happens is you can give them more liberty. You can give them more room because you can trust their training. You can trust their obedience. And now they're able to do more in life because they are going to do it the right way. And you don't have to watch over them anymore. You can trust what they're going to do. And so your discipline should be in this way that you are able to leave your children and do what the father in this passage is doing. Again, going back to the passage, this father has kept his virgin daughter at home so that way she may serve the Lord. And so likely what he's doing, he's, he's saying, my authority is to keep you here. And under that authority, I send you out. I give you the liberty to go serve the Lord without concern. So she doesn't have to worry about resources. She doesn't have to worry about children. She doesn't have to worry about her husband. She can remain in her father's household where she has the liberty to go out and serve the Lord. And that's the purpose of raising our children. So that way they may have the liberty to serve the Lord in the way that we have trained them up to go. And so a good rule that I have heard a lot of people talk about uh, when you have rules for your children is to have one main rule. And that one rule is obey your mother and father. The scripture's got it right. There's one rule, obey your mother and father. And so this allows you to walk into discipline, to teaching, um, to correction, and to punishment, all with that one command. Because let's say you're, I have young kids, so it's young kid examples. Let's say your young child jumps on the couch and you tell them, hey, don't do that. And they get off immediately. Well, there's no need for punishment. You've corrected them. That's good. And then so as time goes on, they jump on the couch again. Well, now they need punishment. Why? Because they were disobedient. And so you punish them, but you don't just punish them because punishment always has to be coupled with correction. And so what's a good practice is when you punish your child, bring it back to the scriptures. Hey, I did this because of what the scriptures say I'm supposed to do. The scriptures tell me to discipline my children. You disobeyed. This is not good. God has commanded you to obey. And my authority over you, I don't punish you out of anger. I don't punish you out of vindictiveness. I don't punish you because it feels good. I don't like punishing you, but I, I need to. Because I'm training you up in the way that you should go. Bring it back to the scriptures. And what you're doing here is you're appealing to the authority that you have in Christ. You're not making it about your authority. You're not the final word. God's the final word. And so when they let them know when they're rebelling against you, their rebellion reflects on their rebellion against God. And when you bring it back to them, they better understand because a child wants to push against their parent. But when you raise your child in the fear and admission of the Lord, they don't want to push against God. Remind them of who they are truly obeying in this. And so again, your punishment is meant to be corrective. Your punishment is done out of love. Your punishment is done to bring them in the right direction, and we cannot do it out of anger. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we need to make sure that as we lead in the home, we lead correctly. 
We don't lead in a way that is just for the sake of leading. We don't have control just for the sake of control. We don't punish because we're angry or because we're vindictive, but we do it out of love. And we do it every single time. We cannot allow a moment of, of disobedience to go without correction and discipline. Because what happens is children get that pattern. And I'm sure we all know kids who know exactly how to get away with things with their parents. Because they, they know if they just keep doing it or they say this or do that, they know exactly the way to weasel out of things with their parents. Because their parents don't discipline them correctly. So we need to make sure that we always discipline disobedience. Or yes, we always punish and discipline when the child is disobedient. So they know that they cannot get away with it. But again, we do it out of love. And again, the reason I'm focusing so heavily on this is because this passage is about the authority of the parent. And again, our culture does not respect the authority of the parent the way Scripture tells us to respect it. And so again, going back to verse 36, his father has made this vow over his daughter. And now his daughter is old enough. She has passed her youth. She's old enough to marry. She's old enough to uh, find a husband. And so the hus- this father has made a vow, and this vow is unbecoming to his daughter. Because his word and his daughter's word goes against each other. He wants her to remain at home. She wants to go out. And so Paul lets him know, you can break this vow. Why? Because what's better for your daughter, if she is not sing, uh, if she does not have the gift of singleness, what is better for her is to go marry. And so you're able to break this vow. You're able to do as you wish. You're able to give her off in marriage. And this is okay. This is acceptable. And again, there are many assumptions here that we need to have to understand this passage correctly. Because once again, we see a scenario where a father has authority over his daughter, and what you don't see here is a mention of a father's authority over his son. Why is it that this advice is only for a father and his daughter and not for a father and his son? Well, let's go ahead and read verse 37, and we're going to look at a father's authority over his daughter. Verse 37 says this, But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will, and has decided that this in his own heart, to keep his own virgin daughter, will do well. Once again, we don't see Paul uh, condemning these actions. But Paul actually says, if you're able to keep the vow, keep it. If you're able to keep your virgin daughter in your home, do it, and you will do well. So why is it that this advice is for the daughter and not for the son? What is different between uh, uh, daughters and sons that Paul is addressing here? or that is assumed in the passage. Well, when it comes to fathers and uh, sons and daughters, what we need to recognize is that what God has maintained through the marriage, what God maintains through children, is the headship of the father. So we've seen this in marriage, that uh, fathers are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And they are the head of the family just as Christ is the head of the church. And so wives submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ. And so this pattern is something that is ongoing throughout life. The family holds this, and that includes the children. And so when you have uh, sons who are going out to find a spouse, what they do is they leave the home. And when you have a daughter who is going to go find a spouse, what happens is the father gives them to another. And what this is doing is it's, it's acknowledging the headship of the man in the relationship. And so um, this authority that, uh, that fathers have over their children continues in the area of marriage for their daughters. And so we see this pattern set up in Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 24. It says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So what happens is a son grows up, and he is under the headship of his father. His father is his authority. But what happens when he wants to marry is that there's going to be a new family and a new headship. 
And so what hap- this father has no authority over the headship of the son. There's nothing to be passed along in terms of authority. And so the son leaves his father and is no longer under his father's headship, but creates his own new headship. And so we then have the bride. Well, the bride has headship of her father, and in her new relationship, he's going to have headship of her husband. And so what's happening here is that there is an authority passed along. And so the truth is that every marriage has an approval of a father, but it's which father is approving. So the father of the bride is the one who approves the marriage in each of these situations. And so what was once two households becomes three. And each of those households is to respect the authority of the man in the household, to respect the headship of the father. And so we see this in the wedding ceremony. If you've been to a more traditional wedding ceremony, the, the father walks his bride, the bride down the aisle. They end at the front and they say, who gives her in marriage? And the father says, I do. And he passes her along to the husband. They get married and now she's under new headship. And this is the purpose of it. This is respecting the authority of the man. Now, there are three people involved in approving of a wedding ceremony or of a, a proposal. The first is the man who seeks a bride. He is to leave his father and find a wife and cling to her. So he must desire for the marriage. The second is the father of the bride. He has to consider carefully the proposal. Is this right for my daughter? Is this good for her? And then he can approve it. But the final and probably most important acceptance of the marriage proposal is the daughter. There should never be a scenario where a woman is forced to marry someone because a man and her father accepted it. So they can go, they can agree on it, and they come to the daughter, he wants to marry you, what do you say? And she has full authority to accept or reject that proposal. She cannot be forced to marry. And so in this, everyone gets exactly what they want. The husband wants a wife, he finds it, and goes about it properly, asking the father for his his daughter's hand in marriage. The father gets what he wants because he has found a good man to give his daughter to. And the the bride finds what she wants because she sees this man and she wants to marry him and she goes willingly to that marriage. And so there's nothing being forced here, but what is being acknowledged is the headship of the man. And what what, what this really does is it enforces this within the marriage. If a marriage does not start off acknowledging headship of men, it will not acknowledge it throughout the marriage. If you do not start your marriage acknowledging it, it will not continue through the marriage. And so both families are to exhibit this headship. Both families need to do this according to the scriptures so that way headship is respected in the home. And so what was two families becomes three. What was two headships becomes three headships. And so fathers and mothers, you have a very important role for your children. And that is to exhibit this pattern. So fathers, you are going to represent to your sons how to be a good father and how to be a good husband. They should look at you and model themselves after you. And mothers, you do the same for your daughters. Your daughters should look up to you and they should see how to be a good mother, how to be a good wife. And they should model themselves after you. And then mothers to their sons, you're exhibiting how or the type of woman that your son should look for. So your son should be able to see you and say, I want to find a wife that is like my mom. And same with you fathers, you are exhibiting for your daughters the type of man that they should be looking for. They should want to marry a man that is like their father. And so when you raise them up this, in this way, you, uh, you uh, represent the headship of the home. Fathers, by leading their homes well, by living sacrificially, by loving their wives, loving their children, raising them up in obedience, so both your sons and daughters can see a good example of a man. And then wives or uh, you women in the relationship, you would do the same 
for the, from the perspective of the woman, that they can see a good mom, they can see a good mother, and know how she is to submit, know how she is to run her household, and know how to do it well. And so again, this authority goes off into the marriage. This is why he's not addressing sons to their daughters, or fathers to their sons, because the father does not have to approve of the marriage of his son, but he does have to approve of the marriage of his daughter. And so every marriage is approved by a father, but again, the question is which father is approving, and that is the, the father of the bride. And so again, in verse 37, we see Paul addressing what the, what the man is doing in making his decision. He tells him that he's under no constraint. In other words, there, there's no law restricting what he decides to do here. He can give her in marriage and he can keep her, but he should not make a quick decision. He has to consider in his heart. He has to decide well. He has to apply wisdom to the situation. And so father cannot say, well, I just want to keep her here. I don't want to give her away. So no. That's a bad father. That's a father making a decision out of his desires and not a desire to please the Lord. So he has to make this decision well. He has to consider everything, and he should desire what is good for his daughter. And if that means giving her in marriage, then that mean, then he does that. He gives her in marriage. But Paul says if he is able to keep her as a virgin daughter, then he does well. And so why is it that he does well to keep her? Well, again, this is a difference in our societies between then and now. And this is something that I think as Christians we need to move a lot back more into. Because what this is doing is it's giving his daughter liberty to serve. And so just like last week when we looked at singleness, how if you are single, you have much more liberty to serve. Well, if you're a virgin daughter in the home of your father, you have way more liberty to serve than even the single person. Because you don't have to worry about getting a job. You don't have to worry about um, all the requirements of marriage. You don't have to worry about anything except for serving the Lord. And be, that's because your father is providing for you. And the father, again, his authority over the daughter is to send her out to obedience to Christ. So that daughter is not being lazy at home. She's not sitting around doing nothing. She's working diligently, but the work is not in the world. The work is for Christ. And I think this is something that we have lost as a, as a society. One, we even do that this with mothers. We don't think of mothers as working because they're not making money. But trust me, they are working. It is a lot of work to raise children. And it is good work to raise children. And a, a wife in the home and a daughter in the home who does not have to worry about going out to make a living is someone who is able to serve Christ all the more. And really, we, we kind of lost sight of this with the, the rise of, of technology. Because what happened is that this was something that was the regular pattern for all families. Because there was tons of work to do in the home. Maintaining the home was a full-time job. You couldn't get away from it. And so the husband went out to the fields and went out to labor. And the wife stayed in the home and did that work. But then we have technology that made living in the home way easier. And so then you have bored housewives with nothing to do who now want to go out into the workforce, but they were seeking the wrong type of work. It is true that they should not be lazy at home. They should not be at home bored doing nothing. But what technology has done, it has freed the wife up to do just as the virgin daughter, that she can go without having to worry about making a living because her husband is providing for her, and she can fully serve the Lord with all of her time. And that is the purpose that uh, Paul is giving this advice for, that there's liberty for service to God when you keep your daughter at home. And we see this in verse 38. He says, So then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. This is not a choice between right and wrong. This is not where he's sinning one way and not sinning the other way. He does well to give his daughter in marriage because marriage is good. And he does better 
by keeping her at home. Why? Because he has freed her up so much to serve the Lord. And again, this is a good thing. The daughter staying in the home is not a lesser human being because she does not labor out in the workforce. She's not lesser because she does not have a full-time paying job or even if she does not have a master's degree or a PhD and she doesn't go off to school, she can, but it's not required. And what happens is that she is freed up from the concerns of life. Her father's authority has freed her up from those concerns and he has kept her at home so that way she can be in full service to God. She now has that liberty. Proverbs 31.30 says this, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. It is good for us to be able to serve the Lord. And God has called fathers to provide for their families. And so what's happening in this scenario with the father making this vow for his daughter is he wants to provide for her, not so she can be lazy at home, but so that she can go out and serve the Lord with full liberty, without restraint, without distraction, able to do the will of God. And so fathers, if you have a daughter with the gift of singleness, don't just immediately get her out of the home. Don't desire that for her. Desire that she would be able to remain in your home without concern, without distraction, so she can have full service to God. And daughters, the same for you. Don't desire immediately to leave the house of your home, of your father. But it is good for you to remain there even till you are married. And this really goes for sons and daughters. Stay in the home until you're married. I know our society puts a ton of emphasis on moving out. You're 18, you're your own person, get out of the house, go find your own way. This is not biblical advice. The Bible calls you to remain in your home until you marry, and that is good advice for you because you're able to serve the Lord more fully under your father's household. But even if we look at our modern context with in California, it's expensive to live on your own. It's hard to live on your own, especially with rising inflation. You're going to go out and all you're going to be doing is working. All you're going to be doing is churning through life, trying to get by because of how our economy is. So good financial advice, stay in the home and you'll do a lot better. But also spiritual advice, especially if you're someone who desires to marry. If you move out and you're in an apartment, the opportunity for sin is exponentially higher because it's really easy for you to sneak your girl or your boy into the into your apartment and have a time there. It's a lot harder when your parents are sleeping right down the hall. And so that gives you a protection from sin. It gives you a freedom to serve the Lord. It removes the concern for needing to go out and make more money. So even if you do have a job and you are making money, you don't have to worry about how quickly it's going to be leaving your pocket. And you can start to build a nest egg for when you do marry that you can move out and you can do well. You can start off strong. And so it is good advice to stay in the home of your father, to allow him to have that authority over you. And if the father has been doing this right and you as a child have been obedient, it's not going to be a hard relationship because the father has raised you in the way that you should go. He can trust you to do as he has trained you. And he can now give you the liberty to, to go out and do what you need to do. And so we should strive for this in our homes. Parents, strive to be this way with your children. Children, strive to be this way with your parents. And you will do well. It is good for you so that way you can serve the Lord. There's one other scenario that Paul brings up here in verse 39, and this is um, uh, still an acknowledgement of male headship in the home. Because now he addresses the uh, scenario of, well, what happens if a husband and wife marry and the father dies or the, the husband dies? Well, whose headship is the wife now under? Does she go back to her father? Does she have to be under him? Who, who is she under now? 
So in verse 39, he says, a wife is bound as long as her husband lives. But if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. And so what we see here is that um, male headship is with children. They go up, the daughter goes under her husband. But if her husband dies, she is her own head. She does not have to submit to any other man. She does not have to go back under her father. She's not required to marry again to be under a man. And Paul's advice actually to her is to remain single. And so, again, I think there are ways that we as a Christian society in the past have done this wrong. There was a time where you couldn't get a hotel room as a woman if you were single, which doesn't make any sense. Why? Because a woman can be on her own. The Bible allows for it. But notice here, it still acknowledges male headship. She was under her father uh, when she was a child. She was under her husband in marriage, and her husband has passed, and now the household is hers. She is now the head. And so if she desires to get remarried, she needs no approval from anyone except for herself. And so we see this as example, or we see examples of this in scripture. We have Ruth, whose husband died, and she was able to do as she pleased, and her decision was to stick with her mother-in-law. But that was her choice. No one had to make it for her. She got to do it all on her own. We also have Lydia in the New Testament. She's a, a wealthy businesswoman. She has her own household, her own servant. She's got tons of stuff, and Paul works with her. He receives funds from her, and at no point does he reprimand her for being a single woman in the workplace. Why? Because like what's likely is she had a husband who passed and she inherited all this for her. And so Paul's advice to Lydia would be remain single. Keep going at it. And our society should be such that she can do that. We shouldn't put restrictions on women when they're single just because they do not have a husband. Because there are scenarios where women can be out on their own, the head of their own household, and doing as they please. And so again, there are ways our society has messed that up in the past, but we should uh, allow women that freedom because there are proper scenarios where a woman does not have a head except for herself. But along the way, it is acknowledging male headship from children up to marriage. And so Paul tells us here that she's bound by the law. We see this in Romans chapter 7, starting at verse 1. It says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning her the husband. So then if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. And so she is bound by the law. If she is with her husband, she cannot go out on her own. Once her husband dies, she is freed from that law, and she is able to do as she wishes. But Paul reminds us here that it is only in the Lord. So all the other guidelines that we have received about marriage, they still apply to her. And now, instead of her father thinking wisely about the decision, it's her thinking wisely about the decision and making the right choice for her life. Is it good for her to get married? Is it bad for her to get married? What's the proper thing? And it's now on her authority to do so. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, 15 says this, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? And so these guidelines and these restrictions still apply to her. She's still only marrying in the Lord. Uh, but again, the authority is now on her. And so Paul's final word of advice to her is to remain single. We see this in verse 40. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I also have the Spirit of God. Paul mentions this here, having the Spirit of God, because again, he's reminding us of his authority as an apostle. He has the Holy Spirit, and so even though he's giving advice here, it is good and sound advice. 
And so just as we saw last week with uh, his advice to remain single, so too with the woman who has lost her husband, his advice to her is to remain single. Because now she has more liberty outside of marriage. She has more liberty as the head of her own household in order to serve the Lord. And so he gives her this advice. And so we see here, again, this pattern that our society kind of rejects nowadays. This pattern of male headship in the home. This pattern of a parent's authority over their children. And so when we think about marriage, we have to continue this pattern. Why? Because the scripture demands us to do it. It is a command from God that we do things this way. And it goes well for us when we do this. Part of a child's obedience to their parents is them respecting the, the regulations around marriage. It's sons, when they go out to find a wife, not, uh, not ignoring what the father-in-law says. If the father-in-law says, no, you cannot marry my daughter, respect that word. Because he's the head of his household and you need to respect his word. And daughter's the same for you. If you uh, go to your father and say, this man, I, I love him and I want to marry him, and he says, no, respect his word. He is the head of the home and you need to respect it. But again, this is something that we are very much out of practice with in this, in this society. And even in the church, we are very much out of practice with this. As a church, we have largely adopted the world's way of thinking about these topics, and it is not good. Many Christian parents are wondering why it is that their children are raised in the church and they go out and they leave the church. Well, it's because you didn't actually raise them in the church. You raised them tangentially to the church. You raised them in the schools. You raised them in Disney. You raised them in all the ways that the world thinks. And I can attest to this as a child who did not grow up as a Christian. In a Christian home, I was not a Christian because I got more training from the world than I got from my parents. And what, uh, by God's grace, I became a Christian at 18. But what happens is you can hear what, the God, what your parents are saying, but you get way more stuff from the world. And you spend way more time with other people. And so you don't actually do what your parents say. You don't actually follow along with what your parents are doing. And so we need to do this well, parents. We need to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We need to respect uh, we need to respect the authority of the father in the home. Because if we're not doing this, they're not going to do it. So don't be surprised if you raise your child in the world and then you give them advice on marriage and they reject it. They're going to do exactly as you have trained them to do. So train them well. And seek a good husband for your daughters. Men, seek a good wife. This is something that you do well in. And so again, rounding out Paul's advice on marriage here, marriage is a good thing, singleness is a good thing. We need to do everything that we can to honor God in both of these things. If it is to be married, it is, we should seek someone who is going to love the Lord and be a good partner for us in marriage. If we are able to be single, whether or not we have been married in the past, if you are someone who has the gift of singleness, then be single. If you are someone who finds yourself single again and you are able to remain single, then be single. And what you're doing with this time is you're serving God. And parents with your children, don't send them out immediately. Don't send them off on their own. Don't send them to the world and be surprised when they become worldly. Allow them to live in your home to continue under your headship so they can have more freedom to serve the Lord. And they can go off to school, they can get jobs, they can still do those things, but allow them to stay in the home, to have that good example, to continue on in that way. Because there's something that happens when you go straight from your father's home to your own home, and that headship never ends, that authority never ends, that it does well for you, that you remember it better, that you haven't spent time away from it, 
but you are able to exhibit it better in your new home, in your new marriage, when you are staying in your father's home. And so as we think of marriage, we need to think of it biblically. As we think of parenting, we need to think of it biblically. We cannot adopt the world's way of thinking about these things, or else our children will fall away more and more and more. And so let's raise our children up in the way they should go, so when they grow old, they will not depart from it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word and its instructions, God, because your word has guided us. It gives us great instruction on how to live our lives, on how to raise our children, on how to deal with marriages. And God, you have done all of this for us so that way we would give back to you. Every gift, God, that you have given us is not something for us to keep forever, but as a gift, it is a talent that we are to utilize for your glory. God, children are part of that talent. Marriage is part of that. And so I pray that our marriages would be strong, that we would use our marriages for your glory. I pray that those who are single would utilize their time well in service to you, to honor and glorify you. And God, I pray that children would respect and obey their parents. And I pray that parents would raise their children to be obedient. And again, God, this is all for your glory. This is all for your name. And so God, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would be powerful upon us, that you would testify to the truth of your word, that if we hear things that we disagree with in your word, God, that we would not accept our own mind, but we would have our mind renewed by your word, that we would accept the paradigm that you have set, God, rather than our own, that we would adopt your ways of thinking about fatherhood, about parenting, about children, and that we would apply them well to our lives, all for your glory. Amen. that is the end of this week's podcast. We thank you for joining us for another inspiring message. If you enjoyed this teaching, please take a moment and share it with others. If you're interested and would like to find out more information about our location, time of worship service, or even what ministries we offer, we encourage you to visit our Facebook page at Journey Community Church Fontana, where you can find all that information and more. Again, on behalf of Journey Community Church of Fontana, we thank you for tuning in. Have a blessed week, and we'll see you here next time.